0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the International Business Podcast. If you work across time zones, borders, and cultures, this is the show for you. I'm Leonardo, founder and host of the show, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. I'm based in Shanghai, and I'm accompanied by two co-hosts, Stefano, based in Paris, and Audrey from San Francisco. Coming up on today's episode. But
1: basically, you definitely need a local team if your clients are local. Regardless, if it's a B2C business, if it's a B2B business, you want people who speak the language, you want people who understand how the client's things can work, you want to understand what the, what drives the customer, what are the customer purchasing criteria, you definitely need a local team for that. Because when COVID happened, we're a German company, German market basically stopped, at least for our service, for some time. And it was a very scary moment because just people didn't, they just wanted to see. What's out there? Shall we spend money? Shall we not spend money? What do we do? And the only reason why we are there where we are, and this is also the reason why we are in, in, let's say, Indonesia or China or USA, because there was the decision, let's go global, because in Germany we likely will die.
0: Nick is a hands-on strategy leader with more than 10 years of experience building business operations and cross-functional teams worldwide. After years working in the market research industry, he decided to found Avomind, a Berlin-based recruitment company connecting candidates with job opportunities around the globe. You can find more information about Nick in the show notes, and now enjoy this episode led by co-host Stefano.
2: Hello, Nick. Uh, I'm very glad to have you on, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me, excited to get this going.
2: Right on, okay. So let's start with the first question that we always ask our guests. And why would you define yourself as an international professional?
1: I would say there are two things. First of all, throughout my entire career, I've built international hubs, teams in Shanghai, in Santiago de Chile, in Latin America, in New York, United States, in Europe. Both business-wise, team-wise, structures-wise, processes-wise, on the one hand, and on the other hand, right now uh, at Evermind, I'm fully embracing the internationality of it and uh, open the hub in Jakarta. We're a German company, right? Open the hub in Jakarta, open the hub in Shanghai, open the hub in New York. Uh, we have international team, international clients, and I think it's critical to be global in our modern world, which is why
2: I think that's what we live by today you mentioned jakarta you mentioned shanghai and new york what yeah. are the main challenges and the most importantly the main differences of expansion between asia and i want to say the americas or maybe the united states uh, it's more specific
1: yeah i mean us is a little bit uh, is different right because let's say MS, to a certain extent similar so i think that's the horizon is a little bit broader if you compare those two us and asia right It's a very complex question. I would say there are probably three core narratives here, right? Which is admin, which is the team, which is clients. If you think admin, uh, U.S. is a fantastic place. I think the entire institutional structure wants you to be there. There is a ton of support, uh, both uh, from institutional players like the government, etc., state level, local level, uh, country level, etc., but also a ton of consultancies out there. It's very easy to build up an entity. It's very easy to structure anything you want to structure, especially if you put money on it. In Asia, Asia is obviously extremely diversified. You know, there is a big difference between, let's say Hong Kong, Singapore, mainland China, or Indonesia, obviously, right? In some places it's easy, but in some places, for example, mainland China, it's certainly not a walk in the park to build up an entity, right? There are a ton of paperwork required, quite critical uh, visa hurdles. Again, depends, but overall admin is certainly harder, especially over the past two years uh, of COVID, right? When the borders are closed, you basically can't do anything uh, or can't do much. So that's number one. Number two, team-wise, U.S., uh, it's obviously a risk, right? uh, The operational costs, the labor costs are significantly higher on the one hand. On the other hand, you do get great labor, what you get a highly diversified country massive market 300 million people market right and uh, you definitely can build things uh, and do have a choice asia also is huge on the one hand on the other hand again depends right korea japan china singapore hong kong are very different however very often let's say if we generalize if you're a global company you basically fight very often for the same talent you fight for people who speak english you fight for people who are competitive you fight for people who could make their own decisions. Again, depends, obviously, business model-wise, but if you want, let's say, an internationally driven talent in Asia, uh, all of the companies want them, right? Which which makes the huge market in terms of the talent a relatively small market, depends where, obviously, but I think that's a hurdle. And obviously in the US, you know, everybody speaks English, that's, you know, that's, that's easy. Although, obviously, the cost structure is very different. And clients-wise, I think they're very similar in a way that uh, both regions have very... Uh, entrepreneurial spirits, especially compared to Europe, regardless of the space, uh, unless it's of government, but purely business. People want to do business. People are open to things. People are very easy signing contracts compared to Europe very often. Uh, They can also kick you off much faster, but overall, people are much more open to ideas, much more open to new technology, much more open to various things, which is also great to basically build the client base as discussed compared to some traditional European
2: markets often. Between... Admin team and clients. What has been if th- these are actually inside the the obstacle? But what what has been the hardest obstacle you found so far uh, building a global startup?
1: There are two things, right? To build locally, or to build globally. To build locally, it's always talent. On the one hand, how do you actually structure the Right team that delivers on the one hand, but if you are building, let's say, a global startup in those regions, I think the core obstacle for me so far has been building a team that trusts each other, building a team that uh interacts well with each other in terms of communication, knowledge sharing, etc. etc. On the one hand, and on the other hand, how do you maintain the stand the same standards, the same quality output? That's another option, right? That's another that's another item. And again, solutions to it basically is hiring very trustworthy managers in each location, potentially also exchanging stuff uh, throughout the regions, potentially also sending some, let's say, Indonesian or uh, Singaporeans to Europe for some time or vice versa or to USA on the one hand. And on the other hand, obviously, KPI and
2: process mapping. At least that's how I've been addressing that. Talking about this, when companies should look for local and went for international hires because this is quite interesting what you say, I said you basically described a, a systematic sort of exchange of uh, know-how and persons and experts all around the continent or even the globe what is the difference clients and growth
1: i would say these two elements right and again technology is, a, is an entirely different ballgame but basically, you definitely need a local team if your clients are local, regardless if it's a B2C business, if it's a B2B business. You want people who speak the language. You want people who understand how the clients think and work. You want to understand what the, what drives the customer, what are the customer purchasing criteria. You definitely need a local team for that. Uh, on the ground, on the one hand, or maybe also senior, right? I mean, not maybe, but definitely also senior, understanding the market. If you want the international growth, if you want the international expansion, you probably need to have international hires in your team, so that the, first, the, the so that the individuals can also jump a little, a little bit outside of their uh, closed down boxes, closed down markets, have a little bit more ideas. Very often, if we're talking about certain markets, we want uh, if a person has international background, they can make decisions faster. They can, uh, they're a little bit uh, less risk averse. They don't necessarily follow hierarchies. They know what to do and how to do it. And for these reasons, hierarchies, decision making, faster decision making, faster expansion, you need international talent, in my
2: experience. Let's dive for a minute into the key market trends of the primary research market. Do you see any patterns? Are there any patterns that you can use as? guidelines to create hub and expansion, both locally and globally? It's a great market.
1: Uh, it, gro- it has grown tremendously, both over the past decade, as well as during COVID. There is a ton of M&A activity happening. There are a ton of new players and new entrants happening. And I would say the core patterns are, first of all, the market grows itself every year through new clientele market entrants through market perceiving the uh, the service through market embracing the service and demanding more service itself number one number two um there are while there is a ton of consolidation on the market ton of acquisitions that are public there are also a lot of new entrants local entrants that are trying to disrupt it on the local level again is it a viable model for a global company, probably not. Uh, would I say that probably most of the local players would be at some point time consumed? likely. But certainly there is, you know, there is a relatively low and a barrier to entry on the local market, very high barrier to entry on the global market, which is why there are many local players popping up. And third element, definitely tech. A lot of companies right now investing a lot of energy and a lot of resources into not just... Uh, automating pure logistics, which is classics, right? But also automating, how do you interact with experts? How do you research them? Can you automate overall human decision-making?
2: And I think a lot of players on this market are right now after it. Can I just go back one second? And I'm quite curious because you mentioned the fact that during COVID, there was a development, of course, or a growth of this market. Can you you expand on that? Because it kind of goes against everything that we heard in the last couple of years, you know, that COVID froze everything. While it's quite interesting to hear that there are markets, there are situations where these medical emergency did not halt the the growth, actually, it boosted it. So primary research market is a market
1: research industry, right? It's basically when uh, various corporates or consulting firms or private equities or funds need to get knowledge and understanding how to do and what to do. There certainly have been changes. For example, they've certainly been at the very start of the COVID less, uh, let's say uh, investments and much more, let's say divestment focused type of activities, cost cutting, et cetera. So certainly the market shifted itself on the one hand. On the other hand, purely market research wise, if uh, an event like COVID happens, you do want to understand what's going to happen. You do want to understand what's going on, which is why you spend money on this which is why everybody who spend money in investment right now spends money to the same players to, for divestment cost structure. Understanding, right? You know, there are industries which are completely crisis uh, resistant, which is, let's say, healthcare. COVID happens, nothing happens to healthcare. Everybody invests there. Everybody also tries to understand, all right, where do we do the, our next move? Which is why it grows. Uh, it didn't necessarily grow due to COVID, but it didn't decline and it grew just as if, the COVID, well, if COVID was never there. Structure itself, inside of it, changed, for sure. What topics would be curious, what topics would be important, definitely shifted. But overall demand for primary research, maybe first month, maybe March 2020 declined, right? But if we look at the past, let's say, 18 months, it grew significantly. And the proven point is public MA activity, which is out there, which is, there is a lot of traction on the market.
2: What are the main differences between building, a hub, uh, building hubs in, in developing markets or in already developed countries? Uh,
1: so for me personally, right, and again, just talking about my personal experience, uh, obviously, um, I would say rather classics on developed, in developed countries, what the, the key advantage is the purchasing power of customer. You obviously spend significantly higher, uh, you know, you invest a lot into cost structure, into payroll, into fixed costs, into operational costs, obviously. But you can you can sell basically five, ten times less of a product or service in the developed countries very often versus developing just because they can pay that and they, they're fine with that, which is why it makes sense. Right. You don't need as large a team. You don't need as large a production side, but your margins can be still fine. Right. And in developing markets, let's say, I don't know, Indonesia, for example, as an example, right? fantastic market, a massive demand structure, very, uh, depending obviously on the market, very educated also markets, uh, labor force on the one hand, but as discussed, right? you definitely need to, pricing is on a completely different level. You need to have a much larger hub, you need to have a much larger team, you need to, to have a, a significantly high economies of scale there to bring the margins that you can bring, let's say, in the States. Does it worth it? It worth is it just because the market embraces you, right? They want you. They do utilize various services, products. They are very prone to innovation, which is awesome. But you need a significantly higher, larger team. And larger team also means risks. You know, hiring 10 people for the same cost of hiring, let's say, 100 people,
2: you do risk in both locations. I've got... One final question for you. And this is the last question we ask everyone that comes on the show, just to end up on if it's possible, a funny way, let's say that I would love for you to tell us one memorable moment from your, from this international career that you just gave us, Uh, the most successful one, the the, the most embarrassing one, the, the most catastrophic episode or the uh, the funniest I don't know something you pick but you mentioned like ten thousand countries so I'm I'm all ears now.
1: Funny moments happen, but funny moments are very operational, right? And I would say two things, right? Funny moments can be something like me in Santiago de Chile. There is the eleventh uh, of September celebration of uh, well, not celebration, memoration, memoration. That's probably the right word of the eleventh of September events in Chile not in the States, they they have their own 11th of September, basically uh, Pinochet related. Uh, and there are massive rides there. And basically you, I, I just arrived in Santiago back in, I think, 2015 ish or something like that. Uh, and then my team is telling me at 12 PM that we need to go home. And I'm like, how come do you need to go home? Like it's 12 PM. And they're like, no, the roads are going to be closed. The uh, subway is going to be closed. You can't. And you are thinking, is it for real? Like what, what is, what is happening? Like you never heard about it. Right. I mean, such such events happen all the time when you completely misunderstand the culture, when you completely misunderstand what's happening there and you learn by them. Or, for example, things like, you know, uh, same story, Santiago, lost water. And my office manager is coming to me and saying, hey, we need to uh, send people home because, you know, our bathrooms don't work because there is no water. And by the Chilean Code of Regulations, you can't have people at the office if the bathroom doesn't work. And and, and again, you start thinking, like, what? Like, never... You know, you experience a lot of great things sure. but i would say to me the internationalization the the core uh why do i also embrace it because if we come back to maybe a little bit more serious right to the COVID topic our company right now survived exactly because we went international because when COVID happened we we're a german company german market basically stopped at least for our services for some time and it was a very scary moment because just people didn't they just wanted to see what's out there shall we spend money shall we not spend money what do we do and the only reason why we are there where we are, and this is also the reason why we are in, in let's say, Indonesia or China or USA, because there was the decision, let's go global because in Germany we we'll likely will die. We did go global. We are very successful, very happy to see how the team grows. But that was definitely the saving decision for us because if we would be completely stuck in one country, we would the, uh, the risk was extremely high for us and the risk diversification really helped us, which is why international companies You do have a lot of funny stories, but you have
2: a lot of, uh, let's say, risk uh, mitigation with this. Just to be clear, uh, you went global not that much long ago, uh, if I understood correctly, uh, right before COVID or because of COVID? Uh, Well, I mean, I launched the company fall 20,
1: 2019, just before when the market was flourishing and everything was great. And then COVID happened when we were half a year old, which is the worst time or maybe the best time uh, to get COVID. And through COVID, we went global. Yeah, for sure. But again, it was the idea anyway to go global, but it was clear that, you know, we need to go outside of Germany now. Otherwise, we have, let's say, a three-month run rate.
2: All right, Nick, before you go, who should connect with you? And if you can tell us even a little bit more about your current role within the company? So I'm the founder at
1: Evermind. We are the platform connecting driven, ambitious, young individuals with fast-growing firms who should talk to us, expanding organizations, VC-funded startups, strategy consultants, investment banks who want to get the best talent, let's say the best 1%, 5% from top business schools or tech schools on the one hand. And on the other hand, Uh, young individuals who are looking for very, um,
2: uh, very interesting roles that can make an impact we do have a lot of them well Nick I want you to thank you so much for your insights thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast thank you for having me that was a pleasure thanks a lot truly great interacting with you
0: You can find the podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe. Do not miss the weekly episodes. And are you an international professional? Connect with us on LinkedIn to come on the show for now. Cheers.